0: This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching to the Gospel of Matthew. We're at the end of chapter 12. Today, we'll be reminded that everybody has a family. A few of you may not know your biological family or be estranged from them, but they exist. For most people, their family is known, and it's a blessing, even if we don't think about that much. Yes, we all have a crazy uncle or a sister-in-law that makes life interesting, but in the main, the family is truly a gift from God. But there is a spiritual family that we should all want to join. The family of God is the place where we find everlasting peace, provision, and protection. And it's only believers, the adopted children of God, that will spend eternity with him. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So follow
1: along with me, Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. We're going to end that chapter. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside, seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus replied to the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And extending his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So today I want to talk to you about the benefits of belonging to the spiritual family of Christ. We're going to follow the same format of the text, obviously, here. So we're going to compare the good proposition with the better proposition. And the good is the security of a physical family. Verses 46 through 47. Jesus had brothers and sisters. The Bible says very clearly, half-brothers. Remember, Jesus was not conceived by natural means. The Bible says the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary, and therefore Jesus was conceived miraculously. But concerned for his safety here, obviously, Jesus' family, his mother and brothers wanted to get him out of what they thought was a volatile situation. Remember, the Pharisees and scribes, they are already planning his destruction. Verse 14, According to Mark, describing the same scene, Christ came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent they could not even eat a meal. So they were concerned about his health. They were also concerned about his safety. The Pharisees had already made plans to execute him. Remember verse 14, they needed the state to sort of sanction the crucifixion because they were not allowed to crucify anyone under Roman law. That needed to go all through Rome. But his family was also embarrassed by him. I want you to see that in Mark 3 verse 21. He said this, When his own people heard of this, and his own people is his family, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying, he has lost his senses. See, they thought that their half-brother had a Messiah complex. On this occasion here, they thought that he was suffering from some sort of a delusion. And John even confirms this in John 7 verse 5 when he says not even his brothers were believing in him. So at this point in the narrative, even his half-brothers did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He thought, man, he's, he's trouble. I'm embarrassed by him because he's saying he's God. He's saying he's Messianic and all the Pharisees, the real religious elite of the time, have a problem with him. But later... They came to the clear understanding of who Christ was, and they came to saving faith. Luke points that out, that they became very active in the early church, for example. Now, Joseph, Christ's adoptive father, is not here at this point, probably died already, but I want you to see that Jesus enjoyed the security of an earthly family. This was a normal earthly family. They cared about him. Even though they didn't believe him at first, they cared about him deeply. And what we learn from this church is that belonging to a physical family, a God-designed earthly family with a mother and a father, brings stability because that's how God designed the family to be. Remove that essential element from your life, from that stage of human development, and people will try to fill in the void by joining a gang or any non-criminal community that promises acceptance, even if it's superficial, even if it's politically motivated, or even temporary. And sadly, for reasons beyond their control, maybe a divorce, abandonment, physical abuse, verbal abuse, or substance abuse, many people don't enjoy the blessing of an established family. That is a blessing. To belong to an established family is a blessing from God. We should thank Him daily for our weird cousins. How about that? Thank God for your weird cousins, because God has placed you in a stable family. The good part of this whole message is this. We have the security of a physical family. But let me talk to you about the better. And that's the superiority of a spiritual family. Verses 48 through 50. If Jesus' family thought that he had lost his senses, his question in verse 48 really discouraged him and may have even shocked him. You mean to say, you don't even know who your family is? Because he says, who are my brothers and my mother? In other words, now he completely lost it. He's saying he's divine. He's saying he's one with the father. And now he's saying, I don't even know who my family is. But that's obviously not the case. The presence of his earthly family in the scene provides the perfect opportunity for him to clarify the superiority of a spiritual family over a physical one. The superiority of a spiritual affiliation with him why because the people with whom he was talking missed that completely. By saying that he belongs to Beelzebub, by saying he operates by the power of Satan, Jesus Christ is saying, you are missing out on being part of my family. You think you belong to a religious family, but you are condemned before God. Unless you belong to my family, there is no forgiveness for you. That's the point of his whole illustration that he's using here. Now remember that in the previous scene, Jesus warned his listeners about leaving their proverbial home unattended. Remember, the metaphorical house, the little illustration that he used to describe something that happens in the spiritual realm. Now he introduces the people whose proverbial house is occupied by him. See, that—that that is why this is a comparison. He's introducing to people whose house now are completely occupied by him because they belong to the spiritual family of Christ. And just like the first disciples, church, if you have come to faith in Christ, you're part of the spiritual family and you enjoy an eternal affiliation with him there's so many blessings we're going to talk about here but rather than a nominal affiliation with christ you have a spiritual affiliation with him now we know many people who are nominally affiliated with christ they say i'm a christian why well because i grew up in america i've always been a christian no we just learned that you have to be born again into the family of christ so no one has always been a christian the question is when were you born again when were you, were you admitted into the kingdom of God by the new birth? That's the real question. Because otherwise it's a nominal affiliation with Him. Now, in biblical language, let's, let's use biblical jargon to describe all of this. Because you are part of the family of God through Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. So every time you're reading about this, particularly in the book of Romans, and you read this expression, in Christ, it lets you know that you are a part of the family of God. And let me show you eight benefits of such an elevated and esteemed position. My friends, if you are in Christ, you are in such an elevated, privileged position. First of all, let's look at our peculiarity. If you are in Christ, first of all, you have freedom from the conflict of sin Now, why do I say this? Because sin produces war with the holy God. See, that is why we need to be born again, because at the moment of your conception and my conception, we are at war with the Holy God. Why? Because we have sin in us. It's not until toddlerhood, maybe, that we're able to manifest that sinful nature, but the point is we are conceived in sin, not because our parents sinned, but because we inherited the sin nature from our parents. You see, that is why Jesus Christ was not conceived by natural means. You and I are different we are at war with God from the day we are conceived. But he has made peace with you. It was his initiative to make peace. Did you know that? You weren't seeking to make peace with God. God drew you closer to him because of his son, Jesus Christ. According to Paul, he says this in Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would he talk about peace? He's using the language of conflict and war to describe exactly that. Everyone that is born is conceived at war with God and needs to receive peace with him through Jesus Christ. Now, that is the first great blessing that we enjoy, church, because we are in the family of Christ. We have peace with God. Now, that peace is not because we are church members, but because we are in Christ, you see? But check this out. Romans 5, verses 10 through 11, Paul continues, and it says, For while we were enemies, did you know that, church? Before you came to Jesus Christ in faith, you are an enemy of God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Church, we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are free from the conflict of sin. That is a great blessing of belonging to the family of Christ. That is a peculiarity that you have and I have. And for that reason, we should explode in joy. Number two, you will also have freedom from the control of sin. You see, Romans 6, verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. You see, before you belonged to the family of Christ, sin had power over you completely. Sin had mastery over you completely. And you were completely powerless to control your sin. In fact, some of you may not even realize that you lived a life of sin. And some of you may not even cared before you became a Christian. It was only when the Holy Spirit convicted your heart of sin that you realized, I need a Savior. But now that we belong to the family of Christ, we have been freed from the control of sin. Church, what that means is that God made a vill- to you the power to have victory over your temptation. You see, you have the power to stop lying. You have the power to stop dishonoring your parents, to stop lusting, or to stop hating people in your heart, and etc. So you don't have to do all of these things because sin no longer has mastery over you according to what Paul says in Romans 6 verse 14. You have been freed from the control of sin. Therefore, we need to live a life that reflects that freedom. Now, we will always sin until glorification. That's the sad reality of our existence because how I wish that at the moment I said yes to Christ and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, He would have zapped me right there and transformed me immediately so that I would be sinless. That's not the case. The point is, we will never be sinless until glorification, but we can sin less. Why? Because God has given us the power to have mastery over sin. Now, we, we are able to spot temptation. We are able to identify temptation. And the, you know what the Bible says? We're to run from it. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you, the Bible says. And the problem is we try to flip-flop that from time to time. We, we run from the devil and we try to resist temptation. It's the other way around. We resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But we are to flee temptation, flee the lusts of immorality. But Paul says this over and over again. And the Joseph in the book of Genesis gives us a perfect example of that. But I want you to see the third benefit, the third peculiarity of our family here. Because we belong to the family of Christ, we have been freed from the conflict of sin, we have been freed from the control of sin, and you have been freed from the condemnation of sin. You see, Paul says again in Romans 8 verse 1, that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means, church, is God will never remember any of your past sins. He will not bring it up against you anymore. Why? Because he's throwing them in the sea of divine forgiveness. As far as east is from the west, he has separated you from your sin. Why is that? Because he can. Because his son took the punishment that belonged to you and to me at that cross. And therefore he took that condemnation. He is your substitute on that cross. He loves us so much, enough to save us, to bring us to a place of a family, a spiritual family. So you will never be condemned because of your sin. The civil authorities may condemn you, and you may have to pay for some of the things, some of the violations you commit here. That's, That's all God ordained, according to Romans 13. But on our spiritual level, on the spiritual realm, God will never bring any accusation against you. You know who does that? Who's the accuser of the brethren, church? The devil is. So God will never accuse you, will never bring any condemnation against you. Now, the Holy Spirit may obviously convict you of post-conversion sins, and that is all good because he leads us to a place of repentance so that we can understand that sin does not control our lives anymore. So that's only some of the characteristics, the peculiarity of our spiritual family, the family of Christ. But I want to talk to you about your identity. By the way, we don't find our identity in our hearts We don't find our identity in what the world tells us who we are. We find our identity in the Bible, in God's Word. And for that reason, I want to tell you that, first of all, if you are in Christ, the Bible says that because you are in Christ, you are the body of Christ. Don't miss the metaphor. We are the body of Christ, which means according to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we we're all made to drink of one spirit. So squeeze the water out of this baptism here. This is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the fact that God placed us into the body of Christ at the moment we became believers, and we have the Holy Spirit. Again, don't miss the metaphor here, the illustration. We're made to drink of the Spirit, which means the Spirit lives in you. And because the Spirit of God lives in you, you belong to the body of Christ. Which means, church, he has provided for you a community of people who will love you, who will care for you. People who will love you enough to tell you sometimes, brother or sister, you are living in sin. Somebody asked me the other day here about church discipline. Yes, we still practice it because, first of all, it's biblical. And secondly, because we love people. We love you enough. To point out to you, brother or sister, if you keep going down this road, you're going to crash. And we want to stir you in the right way. That's what shepherding is all about. So you belong to the body of Christ. There is a loving community that cares for you and cares about you. But secondly, I want you to know you're the bride of Christ. If you are in him, you are not only the body, but also the bride. And here's how that engagement happened. Jesus purchased his church from eternity past. That's in Acts 20, verse 28. The diary of that was his blood because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6 23. The Father accepted the price and gave the church as a love gift to the Son. And that is in John 17, verse 6, when Jesus prays that high priestly prayer. Christ finalized the purchase of that bride on the cross when he cried out, It is finished. You see that term in John 19, verse 30. It doesn't mean I am finished. It means paid in full. It means completely taken care of. It is finished. After his resurrection, Jesus returned to the Father's house to prepare a place for his bride. We just read about that in John 14, verses 1 through 4. And one day, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, will take us home in the event called the rapture. And, and if it happens in our lifetime, we'll be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. What a good way to go, don't you think? You know, I hope I'm preaching when that happens if it happens in within my lifetime. What a great way to go from the pulpit to heaven. Now, we will partake after that event of something called the marriage of the Lamb that's in Revelation 19, verse 7. But before that day, I want you to know, the bridegroom will adorn his bride. And that's the bema seat that is described in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. The judgment seat of Christ, which means that Christ will reward his family members for their faithfulness. He will adorn his bride and prepare the bride for the marriage of the Lamb. Now, church, that is the love story of the centuries. But it doesn't end there. But before you say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm, this is not very masculine. I'm not anybody's bride. I'm a man. Well, again, brother, don't miss... The metaphor, don't miss the illustration. Let me give you one that you will like here. If you're a man's man, you are the building of Christ. If you are in him, you're not only the body of Christ, you are the bride of Christ. You are the building of Christ. According to Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, he uses the language of an architect. To identify Jesus as the cornerstone, Ephesians 3, verse 20. The foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. And Peter adds to that and, and says that believers are being built up as a spiritual house. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. We are being built up as a spiritual house because we are the building of Christ. But not only that, church. According to the Bible in regard to our identity, we are the body of Christ, we are the bride of Christ, we're the building of Christ, and also we are the branches of Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. John 15 verse 5, church, he loves you so much that he expects you to bear fruit and he gives you all the power, all the resources for you to bear fruit. Did you know that that's the reason he gave you spiritual gifts? Did you know you have spiritual gifts? Now, there's a difference between a spiritual gift and a natural talent. I hope you know that. A natural talent is what you received in your first birth or you developed it through life. A spiritual gift is something you get at your second birth, designed specifically for you to bear fruit and for the edification of the body of Christ, the edification of the church, because we are the branches of Christ. And finally, we're not only the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of Christ, the branches of Christ but we're also the blessed of Christ. Remember the Beatitudes. Every time you are tempted to question your identity, whether through your own heart or through other people, every time you're tempted to question your identity, who you are in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to read Matthew 5, verses 3 through 11. Because that passage reminds us how much God loves us. He has given us a true in enduring happiness. That word blessed in the Greek language of the Beatitudes, makarios, means truly happy. See, not like the world describes, because the world describes happiness if there's money in the bank account, or if the family is going well, or, or if the health is okay. But the Bible says very clearly, you are already blessed. Everything's already available to you. You just need to withdraw those funds. You see, he speaks well of you, and I can't think of anything better than that. Even if people speak evil of you, God speaks well of you. That's his eulogy of you because he describes your state of blessedness in the Beatitudes because you belong to his family. Furthermore, Psalm 149 verse 4, listen very carefully. The Lord takes pleasure in you. The Lord takes great pleasure in his people. Zephaniah 3.17, you don't even know how to spell that book. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Church, have you ever considered this, that God explodes in divine joy because of you? His family in Christ. So Scripture summarizes the blessedness of belonging to the family of God like this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. For that reason, church, I appeal to you, let us not live like our old selves. What I mean by that is this. We don't hurt people. We don't offend each other. We don't blackmail one another. We don't speak evil of each other because God already speaks well of us. You see, why would we contradict God? When you gossip about someone, I want you to know that. When you spread rumors about someone, what their motivation or whatever, specifically if they're in the body of Christ, what you are doing is you're contradicting God because God already speaks well of His people. You are telling God, I have a better evaluation than you of that person. See how sinful that is? That does not describe people who have been saved, people who have been placed into the family of God. We don't live like that anymore. We don't do that. We don't withhold forgiveness from one another. We don't withhold reconciliation. Such behavior describes us when we were in Adam, to use another biblical expression. Furthermore, church, the world needs to observe us in action so that they too can desire the spiritual family And according to Jesus Christ himself, the head of that family, he says this, John 13 verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, if our unbeliever friends and family members see that all we do is bicker, we second guess each other, we withhold forgiveness, we refuse to submit to one another, we always assign wrong motives to one another, here's what they'll conclude, church, my fishing club is better than this. The world needs to observe us in action, but the world also needs to hear from us. Not our political rants, not our views on economics, but that spiritual affiliation with Christ is available to anyone who turns from sin and to the Savior. According to Peter, he says in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give you an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Look at verse 50, how he finishes the whole thing here, Jesus, how he concludes this discourse in chapter 12. He summarizes what it means to belong to the spiritual family. He points out a distinguished feature of our spiritual family. Let me read that verse again so that we won't miss it. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. What he's saying is this is the main feature of my family, those who do the will of the Father. Now Luke adds these words from Christ, describing the same event. Luke 8 verse 21, those who hear the word of God and do it, that's what he says, those are my family. So you may be a part of a very healthy family, a non-dysfunctional family, but unless Christ calls you brother or sister, your security and stability are only illusionary. Many people in our own families are not in Christ and therefore do not enjoy the superiority of a spiritual affiliation with Christ over the physical families here on earth. That's why we pray for them, and that's why I encourage you to go talk to them and say, hey, I know we're from the same family, but I hope that one day we'll belong to the same spiritual family. And that is the reason why we're here, church. God could have taken us to heaven at the moment we became believers. He could have zapped us out of existence here in the physical realm and take us to glory. We already know He wants to spend time with us, But he kept us here for a reason. For however long you have, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, let's make the best out of it. And let's tell the whole world that there's a God out there who cares deeply about people, and he calls people into a family relationship with him. The only way to establish that relationship is by responding to the invitation when Christ says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people, just like you, to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.